Well, I'm sure most, if not all of us who play D&D run into the issue of not finding enough people to sit down at a table and roll dice for three to five hours. There are probably also a few of you out there that have had more than you expected. Too many, some might say. While I'm sure this is a rare problem to have, I feel like I'm in a unique position to give advice on it. The longest campaign I've ever DM'd was a nearly two-year adventure I ran for a group of friends that included nine people. At times, the game would even grow to ten or eleven people. This might sound like a headache, and in some ways it definitely was, but it was also an experiment that paid off beautifully when all of the moving parts seemed to work together in unison. Like I said, I'm aware many of you probably don't have enough people or even the space to run a game like this, even if you wanted to. But for those of you out there that can and just may be intimidated by the idea, I've put together a list of tips that will hopefully make your large group adventures as fun as the ones me and my friends had. Let's start with the upsides of playing in a large group. To this day, the nine-person campaign we ran, also known to us as the Lesser Earth campaign, is still referenced by my friends when talking about great moments we've had when sitting around the game table. I think most of that can be attributed to the unique quests or hijinks a large group of players is capable of. For one, combat can be more elaborate. One thing you might be immediately curious about is combat, and to answer your question, yes, it is frantic, but in a way that can be extremely fun if you construct your encounters appropriately. Because there are so many players, your group will be able to fight against stronger opponents and bigger groups of them, even when just starting out. UDMs can rejoice in the fact that, though it may be more work to create, the first time you ask your players to roll for initiative will be in a situation with a bit more at stake. This also allows for players who have built less combat-oriented characters to work on other, perhaps equally important, tasks while other characters focus on the fight itself. I'll get into how to craft combat encounters for large groups in a bit, but just know that it's definitely possible to have a great combat encounter that doesn't take a million real-life years to finish up or even just go through one turn. Another benefit I have found to large groups is that you can immerse yourself in settings and quests that just narratively work better with more people. This might seem like more of an accommodation than an actual benefit of playing in a large group, but bear with me. Would it not feel a little bit more like you were actually on a pirate ship crew if there were more of your friends there to interact with, as opposed to just more NPCs? And what about a circus troupe or a traveling group of merchants? These are all things that can be done with regular groups, of course, and I'm not saying that NPCs are a less immersive way to introduce a crew as part of the story. I do, however, think that having more voices and ideas at the table from people who aren't the DM will always give the greater narrative more variety. To use the aforementioned examples, having seven, eight, or nine of your friends be the ones primarily responsible for operating a large, full-rigged ship can feel like a much grander task since so many of you are working toward the same goal in different ways. This could also be said for your friends who decide to play as cunning mercenaries acting as muscle for sly merchant friends who can make money for better gear. Or maybe your friends decided to play as a diverse, plucky group of mage tower athletes trying to take their village team to the championship. Again, all things that can be done with regular sized groups and a few more NPCs, but they are definitely made more unique when an ensemble cast of your friends is involved. Speaking of which, more friends get to partake in the story, and this seems very, very obvious, I get that, so I won't spend too much time on it, but bigger groups means that you have more of your friends there that can actually experience the adventure firsthand. It's never quite the same to tell a friend about the time Connor's paladin nearly died falling into a precipice as it is for that friend to actually witness Connor's paladin nearly die by falling and failing his acrobatics check yet again. 
Another concern that can actually be a bit of a benefit is that absences are less impactful. No one likes it when someone has to miss a session, and yes, in large groups it is statistically more likely to happen, and happen more frequently. That said, when you have built your campaign around that large group, it can actually be pretty easy to adjust your weekly sessions for who ends up arriving. Regardless of what your group's overarching goal is, story-wise, you are still more than capable of having sessions that serve that narrative purpose. Where a group of four or five might be completely thrown off by one of their players missing, the balance doesn't always completely vanish with absences in a big group. Fighter and Barbarian are absent, your group can still fight, but may opt for a more stealthy approach, should the need for violence arise. Your bard or cleric are missing, maybe it's the druid, monk, or sorcerer's time to shine as the healer. But what if four to five people cancel? You still have enough people to have a wacky little side adventure. There are, of course, still going to be times where absences will cause issues with the narrative, and times where enough people cancel to make it more worth it just to wait for the next week. I am also aware that you are putting the stability of the campaign in much more volatile hands when working with eight or more schedules, but if you think that this is something that's going to sink your D&D night alone, I am here to say that that's not going to happen, especially if you trust the group you've assembled. Another benefit of playing in such a large group is that characters can just be weirder. When the need for a balanced team is easily filled among so many, this leaves the door wide open for players to try out strange characters and even stranger multi-class builds. While I'm not saying your party can just throw caution and strategy to the wind when leveling up, I am saying that the ideal character you have in your mind does not have to be sacrificed on the altar of min-maxing. Want to take a weird feat instead of a skill upgrade? Spend an irresponsible amount of money on an item that just fits your style? Or maybe you just want to make a character that's a kooky jack-of-all-trades? Not everyone is going to have the urge to make silly or experimental characters, but large group campaigns allow you a certain level of comfort to do so. If you decide to play as something like your dream, annoying, irreverent jester character you've always thought about, you still have at least one or two people that can handle combat as well as more delicate social encounters. And this is a bit of a weird benefit, but party splitting is actually more engaging with more people at the table. This is not going to work with every DM's style, but it's kind of surprising how much more natural it feels when the party splits up in a large group as opposed to in regular groups. I'm going to go over this topic in more detail in the tips section, but basically I think it only works so well when a large group splits up because each group and their goals are being catered to as opposed to just one or two people derailing a team effort. Another benefit I've learned about large group play is that new players have more space to learn from experienced players. In our Lesser Earth campaign, four of the nine people had never played D&D before. Though they were intimidated at first, I think what helped them learn so quickly was being able to play alongside people, or friends rather, that could roleplay and navigate the mechanics confidently. This also gave them space to mess up without catastrophic repercussions for the rest of the group. I wouldn't say it's the perfect way to bring newbies to the hobby, not by a long shot. It is fundamentally different than how the game is intended to be played. But if you think your friends will enjoy the game more if they don't have a spotlight directly pointed on them, big groups are great for that. Especially if your group is made up of very close friendships. To lead into the downsides, I figured I would talk about something that can be a little bit of both an upside and downside. No matter what type of adventure your group wants to do, you're going to be customizing about 80% of everything that goes into it. Not homebrewing, though that will come into play as well, but tweaking things like enemies, locations, lore, and even mechanics to better fit the dynamic of your large group. Many DMs are going to hear this and be excited at the prospect of needing to customize and put so much work into many different facets of the game for 
every session, but many are also going to be met with the realization that more players does indeed equal way more work, perhaps even exponentially so. Speaking of which, what are the biggest downsides of large group play? To echo back to one of the biggest upsides, uh, it's true that combat can take a long, long time and can exclude non-combative characters very easily. This is the concern I think most people have right off the bat, and while there's a laundry list of ways you can avoid this pitfall, which we will discuss later, it is still a deadly pitfall nonetheless. More players means more turns, opposing ideas on how to handle given situations, and has a stronger tendency to exclude players that aren't big damage dealers. On top of trying to keep everyone involved, DMs will also often find that standard combat encounters are just too easy when you have so many people to soak up hits and dish them out. You can't carelessly just throw a few enemies at such a large group, but you also don't want to fill the battlefield with an excess of enemies. Strategy goes right out the window in many cases once you reduce combat to horde mode. It can also cause choice paralysis in players who may not see combat as the core thing they want out of their sessions. Throwing powerful, singular enemies at large groups like dragons and such is also a little bit tricky. The strategy usually just boils down to get them each turn, and players eventually find their collective HP is kind of their biggest asset in any boss fight. So yes, it's a big issue that can't be ignored, but also one that I will hopefully teach you how to avoid. Another big issue that becomes amplified in big groups is murder hoboism. If you think it's bad when you have only a few players, uh, with eight or more, it can feel like you're DMing for the biker gang from Mad Max. While most players don't take part in this see-how-many-stars-I-can-get-in-Grand-Theft-Auto approach to D&D, it only takes one player for that to be an issue. Now, if you're running something like a Viking campaign, an evil campaign, or something where random violence is baked into the theme of the world, all power to you and your psychotic players. It's when, say for example, you're all in a quaint trading post town and two of your eight players decide to start a fight with local security. For no reason. It turns deadly, mainly because those who started it also demanded on finishing it, and now all six other characters have to suddenly readjust to the new, perhaps out of character, trajectory the session has taken. Anything that interrupts momentum in regular group play is magnified here. Everyone loves it when the violent, chaotic characters roleplay accordingly, but if your character is willing to interrupt the obvious intentions and tones set forth by everyone else, it's not in character, it's just disregard. I should say this is not always a player issue though, sometimes I think murder hoboism is a result of players being completely unaware of what they should do next, or boredom. So try and have a little introspection if this happens at your table, DMs. Another concern I hear a lot about big groups is keeping every player engaged, and yes, it's very difficult. I know many DMs have trouble making sure that four to five people are locked in most of the time. Adding three to four more players does not make it any easier to the surprise of no one. One thing you're immediately going to notice if you DM for a large group is that keeping session notes and incorporating that info requires way more preparation. I usually take about a half hour to 45 minutes for regular group sessions, and sometimes shorter if the previous session left off on an unfinished quest or storyline. When I ran my Lesser Earth campaign, though, I was easily putting in a minimum of an hour each week, no matter where the session before had left off. Sometimes way more if there was a big story event or a complex combat encounter to devise. While taking notes during the session is hardly difficult, it's assessing the information of those notes for the next week's session that is time-consuming. I would advise against running large group sessions if you aren't willing to carve out an hour each week to make sure you aren't inviting friends over for a prolonged improv act 
with some dice rolls thrown in. And another downside is just kind of a fact of tabletop RPGs. Players will, at some point, want different things out of the sessions. One of the best parts of being in a large group is also an inevitable source of conflict, and that's the myriad of ideas each person brings to the table. Everyone has played a character only to realize it isn't conducive to their desired gameplay style. Everyone has become uninterested with a plot or setting that was once exciting, and even fictional characters discover new motivations as their story goes on. Most of these are just things that require a narrative pivot or character retooling, but in some instances, players may want to create new characters altogether or change what the campaign is all about. This is usually avoided by a strong session zero and no shortage of flexibility, but it isn't entirely avoidable. And then the last downside is scheduling. That's it. it scheduling is the downside, but with eight or more calendars, not just four to five. So scheduling. All right, time for the tips. I'll try my best to alternate between tips that can be somewhat planned out versus technique-based tips that can really only be practiced in the moment, during the sessions themselves. There are 17 tips here that I have for DMs, but also three that I have for players, as I think there's some dynamic changes that need to be addressed. Those will be at the end of the video, though. Some of these tips can apply to DMing sessions outside of large groups, and some of these may just be things you already knew but I want this video to be as thorough an examination as possible so you can get into creating your large group campaign as soon as possible, he says in one of his longest videos yet. Number one is know your group and be confident that you can all work together. I would only ever say you should start a big group campaign or session if you can rely on those at the table to roll with the punches and make adjustments to being in a large group. That's mainly reserved for experienced players. New players might not know the difference, but still. Everyone should have a certain level of chemistry with one another as role-playing is far more involved with so many PCs in the game. I'm not saying you need a dream team of RPG players, as I said, my big group started off with a bunch of newbies, but all nine of us had been friends with one another for a few years, some of us even way more, before we got together for a session zero and set out on our adventures. There was never a doubt in my mind they were going to approach the campaign with a similar amount of enthusiasm and camaraderie and you should build a group that instills that same confidence in you. Tip number two is have a grand session zero and build your campaign almost exclusively from what is created there. Make it feel like a game night mixed with a writer's room for a season of TV. A DM should bring to the table an interesting world and ideas for the central conflict within that world. Not the conflict for the story around the players, mind you, the world's conflict. Something that will have life-altering implications for anyone living in it good, bad, or even just mildly annoying. How your players craft their characters and backstories will tell you what perspective you should help them explore the world through. You might have ideas for how the characters could embark on a world-saving quest, for instance, but that might be the furthest thing from their minds. In our campaign, a central story element was that the disc world that they lived on was crumbling at the edges, literally breaking apart and scattering into space, slowly but dramatically over time, due to the carelessness of the gods. This provided a great source of conflict within the world itself. Countries were fighting for resources, there were religious schisms, power vacuums, abandoned kingdoms, new, unseen creatures. It gave me a lot to work with in terms of organic plot development and lore. But literally none of that was what the players were interested in the grand scheme of things. Many just wanted to create characters who assumed it would be impossible to save the world and they ended up wanting to explore the world itself in a confiscated pirate ship instead of doing any of that other lofty stuff that was set up. 
since there aren't really any adventure modules that give you an idea on how to structure your campaign, aside from maybe Out of the Abyss, kinda, you will want to save any ideas for sessions you have until after session zero. With so many people, a lot can change once you start brainstorming and finalizing character builds. So focus on crafting compelling settings and use session zero to create an adventure within that, at least in some way. So I would say focus on creating a compelling setting and use session zero to create adventures that, at least in some way, tie back to the character details you learned in session zero. It will keep the players engaged. Hell, you should even let players come up with ideas for pre-established villains, organizations, and locations. These can be baked into the world and explored depending on what role they play in each character's lives. Tip number three is use mainstay NPCs sparingly and cut everything that isn't your best work. You've got the quantity in your PCs, and now you should focus on the quality with your NPCs. Every DM should have a filing cabinet's worth of characters to throw at the players and an equal amount of voices and quirks to go along with them. For large group play, though, try to stick to the ones that add something to the world or some vague amount of interest to the players, or at very least just don't annoy the players. NPCs should almost exclusively act like a conduit to missions, information, or resources, getting only what narrative weight the players impress upon them. They should still have a lot of personality and provide more depth than your average Bethesda game NPC, for instance, but they should never be intrusive. Your players should be excited to interact with them, and if your players don't really respond to a certain NPC, don't bog down your sessions by trying to make them into a thing. Just get them out of the story and move on in any way you can. There's no science to making NPCs, and there's, as a result, no science to making an NPC work within a group. But I think that every great one is at least a reflection of the world the players are learning about, a representation of an in-universe ideal or folly. At very least, just avoid incorporating your power fantasy self-insert characters with so few NPCs that will become way more obvious when you're doing that. You DMs know who you are. Tip number four is one of the most important ones on this list, and that's have a means of conveyance, preferably in the form of a mobile home base. I would never say you should limit what your campaign story is about for the sake of mechanical ease, but in this case, I think almost every large group should have something like a galleon, a train, a riverboat, a rigid airship, or even a selection of mounts available from the start. Having something like a ship for the players to live on, explore from, and customize breathes so much life into a campaign. It may limit what adventures could be done at first, but it's everything in between those adventures that's improved by the implementation of a mobile home base. Downtime can be spent on upgrading and maintenance, which over time will make the ship a character within the group in its own right. Supplies and treasure can be stored on board, creating a bigger risk whenever traveling to dangerous areas while also allowing players to have access to a larger inventory. This also opens up plenty of chances for combat to center around base defense. Defending your ship from enemies will have much more impact when the players have so much personal investment in what is, in some ways, their character's home. DMs everywhere will also love the ability to move the story along with a literal vehicle that can take the story to new places in a hurry. Especially if players aren't engaged with a certain area or just want to make a session all about exploring the world from the relative safety of their base. Star Wars Edge of the Empire does a similar thing by giving the PCs money for a ship at the start, and it's a million times better for it. It makes moving on to the next conflict feel organic, but also swift. It also provides nail-biting tension when conflict finds your crew mid-travel. 
Facing a formidable foe is always made scarier when sinking, crashing, or derailment is the result of failure. Tip number five is very story dependent, but there should be at least one player in the group with a character that has in-universe command or authority. I've established the importance of having something like a ship, and every ship needs a captain. In a way, this person will act as a sort of co-DM, keeping the central narrative on track, or at very least be someone whose character has the interest of the others at heart. This will provide the DM with a player who has a vested interest in the functionality and details of the mobile base, and it provides players with an in-universe authority figure that isn't an NPC. It might seem like a dangerous thing to give one player more power over the others, and maybe it is if you don't trust your group that you're playing with, but in practice I have found that this allows for so many interesting role-playing opportunities that wouldn't be there otherwise. A PC is going to have way more fun and be way more immersed when trying to convince their captain of a certain plan when that captain is also a PC themselves instead of an NPC whose actions are dictated by dice rolls. You should definitely make sure someone in your group is actually up to fulfilling this role. Don't just randomly appoint somebody. I just know that a lot of players like the idea of playing someone with in-universe authority, and large group play is a natural feeling place to try it out. If you've ever wanted to run a campaign where one or a couple players are royalty, a noble, or a general, this might be the time and place to try it out. Tip number six is use as many or as few tools as possible to help make gameplay more snappy and involving, or just more efficient, particularly in combat. To you DMs out there who like using things like grid boards, status effects rings, uh, props, and diagrams, large groups are where you're going to be firing on all cylinders. Engagement will always be what you should tend to first, and having ancillary tools to help keep that energy up is a must. If your group likes using them. Sometimes these things are fun luxuries that help to make the game easy to understand while also adding visual depth, and other times they're visually appealing wastes of time that bog down turns and take away from your game preparation. At worst, they're just a distraction from how underbaked a session is. You DMs that like these things probably already have wish lists full of toys and tools that you want to get for your campaign, probably based on things you've wanted to improve for future sessions. Just make sure everything you get is in service of improving the game, not just making it visually pleasing or proving that you're the DM with the most stuff. My group could have never made it through the Lesser Earth without some of these accessories, but I also know for a fact that some groups I've played in never really want to go near a grid board. Try to prioritize swiftness and efficiency over aesthetics and novelty. Initiation organizers are an example of a tool built almost exclusively for saving time. Dungeon craft, probably one of my favorite DM tools ever, but also not a tool that inherently saves time. Also, not really useful at all if your group isn't dedicated to a grid-based gameplay kind of type. Try to collab with your group about what tools they would like to test out. Tip number seven is make combat multifaceted, story-based, and dynamic, especially if their opponent is someone that's supposed to be intelligent or cunning. Think the Minds of Moria from The Fellowship of the Ring, or go look up that scene if you're the one person that plays D&D and hasn't seen those movies. You should never just be doing simple changes like multiplying enemy numbers or adding more HP to a boss fight. It isn't about making every player directly involved with the actual fight itself, it's about making every player feel like the fight would eventually go worse without their help. The monk and the rogue might not be much help in a direct fight compared to some other party members, but they can use their skills to distract, dodge, and sneak attack their way across a rubble-laden battlefield, providing disruption to an enemy advancement. The druid might be throwing out some buffs to support the healers, but what happens if one of the strongest enemy combatants on the field notices this strategy. 
Perhaps the enemy horde will soon become too much to bear, so the tabaxi and other fast movers need to make their way to ready the horses for a quick escape, while the damage dealers hold everyone else off. Death should always be on the table when a fight breaks out, and the stakes should be what drives the player's problem-solving and quick decisions. Now, all that theoretical stuff is well and good, but combat will sometimes break out without any warning, which is code for the players start a brawl at a time and place you didn't expect. It can feel like all that planning and ludonarrative connection goes right out the window, but don't fret just yet. There are still plenty of ways you can couch this random fight within the story and make it seem more unique to the players. The core thing to focus on narratively during random fights is how the fight is affecting the surroundings. Are other bystanders bothered by this violent outburst? Do they encourage it? Is the location they're fighting in being destroyed in the process of their fight? Are there environmental hazards that other players can take advantage of? On top of all these details that can be added to the scene, you can also play your enemies with a bit more tact. Have the enemies run away if a couple of their friends get bodied. Have the local law enforcement break up the fight, allowing you to flesh out the setting and maybe even a new NPC. If there are creatures, have them work in a pack mentality to surround or trap the player. There are also a few simple tricks to keep players locked in and full of inertia. Since there are so many players, use the 110 rule to keep the pace up if you feel like that's needed which basically means allowing each player one real-life minute to make their full turn during combat. It makes decisions more snappy in the moment and less susceptible to choice paralysis, especially during higher-level play. Another way to swiffen combat while also including less fighty characters is to let people set up chain reactions of some kind. Pulling ropes taut to trip opponents, dropping things from above, setting combustibles near the future site of an area effect fire spell. Your players will jump at any chance they get to end fights in clever ways if you give them the tools to do so. And the last part of this tip, it's a quick part, uh, let less combative PCs be just that if they want to. Not every player needs a chance to swing a melee weapon at an enemy to feel included. If the player is fine hanging out at the back and throwing out spells, fulfilling tertiary tasks for the group, steering the ship during a battle, whatever. If they enjoy the assistance aspect of combat, let them enjoy it. There is no reason to push someone to the front lines unless that's where the player wants their character to be. Besides, non-combative characters should feel perfectly catered to if you follow this next tip. Tip number eight is create sessions without any plans for combat at all. Escapes, festivals, politics, anything like that. You can't rely on adversarial story beats forever, and no DM ever should. Large group sessions are the perfect time to unleash every good idea you have for downtime. Rewarding XP for those activities or even other in-game bonuses can incentivize them to partake in these events as well. If there's a fair in town, think of a bunch of parlor games and things for the players to win prizes from and oddball NPCs to meet. If they're traveling on the mobile base that we just discussed, Think of chores that involve a bit more finesse than just swabbing the deck. Or perhaps, if the character is an aristocrat or something along those lines, see how well they can even do basic chores. One of the best sessions of the big group campaign I ran involved the players trying to get their ship out of a massive tidal wave of debris that they had gotten stuck in during a storm. It was a lot of them working together to get supplies, rescue other NPCs, and navigate their way out of a floating island of garbage. No combat at all, yet still ended up as one of the most noteworthy sessions. To bring more stakes to the table, quests that incentivize minimal use of violent solutions are always great ways to ramp up tension without rolling for initiative. They also require DMs to think of conflicts that can be resolved in various ways and, perhaps more importantly, change dynamically as the players succeed and fail. 
a prison escape is the quintessential low combat idea because it naturally gives the players a reason to avoid fighting, which is usually just they were disarmed. To avoid that crowbarred in story beat, you can just cut out the imprisonment and set up an overwhelming threat that will descend upon the players if they start getting too rowdy, like breaking someone out of imprisonment. Another way is to give them some squishy, super sympathetic NPCs that will need to be kept safe, making combat just another chance for you to lose your beloved Tynan the Dwarf. We won't forget you, Tynan. You can also design encounters in a way where discretion is of importance as opposed to non-violent strategies specifically. Missions where players can kill all they want, they just better have a way to hide the bodies or make it look like an accident. Having the party make their way in and out of an enemy camp or a public figure's house is a common way to do this. An even scarier way is by involving beasts. The barbarian in the group probably wants to get their hands on some treasure, as much as the next Goliath, I'm sure, but how loud are they going to go about it when the treasure is in a cave loaded with a ton of owl bears? Creating sessions that take this approach is not only adding variety and shaking up the formula, it's also allowing your players to explore their characters in scenarios where they're not murdering people. Uh, I have a feeling that you're going to get a better sense of who most of the characters are if you find out what they do when they're just bored or hanging out or trying to have some fun. Tip number nine is to create custom random dice tables, game systems, and other improv materials for each session. You're going to need them. If you think a dice table could come into play, create it or find one online. The players are going to take so many of your beautiful ideas and throw them to the side in favor of unknowingly exploring the unknown. You should be ready to make it seem like you were prepared for them to do that. Design your own encounters that fit the group's difficulty and skill sets. Keep lists of various places, names, and lore notes nearby. Make random dice tables for specific PCs if you have to. Anything that helps you keep your narrative flow when the players are finding their own. Xanathars and whatnot is helpful for this kind of thing, but that should just be a supplement or a source of inspiration for your own material. Tip number 10 is to take time before each session to talk about the last one, catch up, and get locked into the game. This is a quick but helpful tip, and it might seem oversimplified, but yes, the tip is just talk it out before each session. There are so many of you, and you deserve to sit down as friends and talk before you get into the nitty-gritty of your long-running story. Before beginning the game, just be sure to ask if the players need anything from the previous session clarified or reiterated. This will help jog their memory and get them into the mindset of their character, and more particularly the mindset that their character was in at the time of the last session. It also helps you figure out what is most important or most memorable to your players each week. Tip number 11 is to keep track of each PC's story progression in some way, and try to focus sessions around different specific characters each time. Another quick tip, just keep a record of every cool or generally badass thing the players do. If you notice only select players are getting all the cool story moments or are the core of every solution, you need to make some adjustments. It's impossible to make every character in a large group the focus, but you can make sure that each session ties strongly to certain characters and alternate accordingly. The samurai fighter PC bested a foe from their past last session? Maybe focus on the druid who is trying to find a rare plant this session. Tip number 12, speaking of plants, is sow the seeds for future plots and characters each session. Nothing should ever just be randomly introduced if you think it might be a mainstay of a long-running campaign. And if it isn't going to be a long-running campaign, you should reconsider just how much your players know about the setting going into session one. Or the one-shot, I should say. 
Intrigue is an essential part to any mystery or grand adventure, so practice patience when building up your central villain, your grand capital city, or perilous trail. An easy method I always use is making mention of certain story elements, either through NPCs or in-game documentation, and seeing if the players attempt to learn more about it. If they don't, they clearly aren't interested, and you should just leave it as the piece of lore that it is now. And if they do, you have just found what you can build the story to over the following sessions. Give NPCs secrets for the players to discover through charisma checks, puzzles that lead to the next piece of info, magical items with rituals to perform, or enemies to slay that carry subtle indications of what their origins are. Finally, it shouldn't feel forced or abrupt, but you should always try to end your games in a way that hints at what is to come, and what awaits the players next time you all meet up. This is a DM skill that will test your planning and improv abilities alike. Tip number 13 is home brew. Allow your players to collaborate with you on homebrew items that make their characters more unique. And more importantly, homebrew a ton of your own gear, treasures, and magical items to introduce. You are the DM. Any magical item or tool that enters the game is exclusively of your doing. And creating custom items that fit the needs and desires of your players is the perfect way to help them grow attached to their characters. It can allow you to give specialized bonuses and abilities to characters who might need it in order to feel more involved, such as giving a character who might want to be more help in combat from a distance a custom bow. If there's a player that wants to be a werewolf, work together with them on how to make that viable and balanced for a PC. If there's a character that wants to fight viciously with two shields, maybe go watch my video on it for ideas, but then sit down with your player and make it happen. I'm not saying every idea gets a pass, or that a compromise can be reached with just about any concept, but your players should feel free to make this world their own, and that you care enough to work with them on it. If a player thinks there's a chance of coming across a valued item that incorporates some of their lore or backstory they've created, they are going to be locked in from start to finish. Tip number 14 is allow your players to build new characters or to change their existing one in some way, if they want to. You should allow them to change their motivations, too. I touched upon this earlier in the downsides, but this is something you will need to be ready for. It's not really a big deal given the amount of players I don't see it throwing off any combat meta or anything like that, but your players need to always feel safe to make changes as the campaign progresses. Since figuring out the group dynamic will be a little bit harder when it includes so many, no player should feel locked into a character. Whether they feel like they have just explored every narrative quality of a character, or even if that character is currently a major role in the story, collaborate on how to make the changes that they want. If our campaign was able to continue after our ship captain left the group to help save his hometown, I'm sure yours can too. That said, you might not have to run into this as much if you implement my next tip. I get that this tip is a bit strange, but we did it a lot in our campaign, and that's if there are a large number of absences, have spin-off episodes that take place in the same universe and timeline. Use these sessions to create different characters for more traditional play, and to set up more events in your main campaign narrative. I mean, Marvel does this crap all the time, so why can't you guys? This involves rolling up new characters, so it's a small effort, but a worthwhile one. One thing my friends liked to do when there were only three or four of us was run a slightly evil campaign where, instead of a ragtag group of sailors on quests, they played as evilish bandits trying to steal and sneak their way across the world. This also allowed for fun one-shots that took place during historical events within the lore of our game. 
or sessions that involve the ancestors of certain main campaign characters. Your game group might have a different idea on how to handle absences, but I cannot understate how great of a tool these spin-off sessions were in making the world feel more real to the players. Having one-shots where your player characters are soldiers or civilians during a noteworthy historical battle can add more depth or even mystery to what was once just a cool bit of lore. Or to tie into player character backstories because players absolutely love that kind of thing if you haven't picked up on that by now, you can explore how a certain character's family rose to prominence long ago by discovering an ancient treasure. This is something that is kind of in the spirit of the advanced D&D shared world narrative experience, just far less rigid and linear. Tip number 16 should be handled a little delicately, it's a little bit of a controversial opinion, but I mentioned this earlier, you should allow the group to split up to get more done, or if their character would just believably go in a different route. It's a juggling act, but can weirdly work better in large groups, especially if the 110 rule is used and the DM remembers to provide updated environmental details each round. In a group of four or five, if the group splits up, it is usually a bit more of a drag to make the tangent flow with the rest of the session. Sometimes it can even derail a session entirely. So how does this magically change in a large group exactly? While staying together will certainly be how your sessions play out most of the time, in certain scenarios, splitting the party can either be a better strategy or just make more narrative sense. Mechanically, it allows for everyone to take on certain situations that are more in line with their skills. Narratively, it feels pretty seamless to interchange between groups, especially if both groups are relying on each other to get their respective jobs done. Since large group team splitting includes backup from the other PCs and role-playing interactions from the players themselves, it's much easier to keep narrative momentum going and doesn't instantly become a suicide mission if combat breaks out for one of the other teams. One group can distract nobles at an elegant gathering while the other sneaks around and sabotages their plans. One group can work on closing the castle gates while another group holds off some overzealous guards. One group can go out on a deep-sea whaling expedition, while the more animal-friendly characters stay behind to study wildlife for medicinal purposes. These are just a few examples, but as long as you have a good idea of what each character's strengths are, as well as what the players are looking for gameplay-wise, you should have everything you need to make customized missions that become Hitman-style sandboxes in the hands of your group. Now, all that said, I would highly advise against creating sessions with the sole intention of splitting the group. There are a few things more railroady than splitting up your group in inorganic or narratively obvious ways. It's really more about creating settings, NPCs, and threats that have multiple avenues to success. This is something DMs should be doing already, mind you, but in this instance, the trick is trying to create the risk-reward appeal of splitting up the group. If they, for whatever reason, decide to split up, the stakes should be high enough on each side that both groups will heavily care if the other isn't doing so well. It's probably going to be a lot harder to foil the plans of the nobles if one group is failing at being sneaky or the other group is failing to blend into high society. Tip number 17 is something that every DM should hear and be reminded of, and that's ask your players for honest criticism, especially at the start. Learning to DM a big group will take practice, and not everything you try will translate to a big group. Some players may still feel left out despite your best efforts. Whatever is holding your sessions back is never going to get fixed if you don't seek it out in good faith. If nothing else, I think the ultimate goal of perfecting a large group DMing style should be to create a sort of party game atmosphere where everyone feels like they are contributing and being catered to. Now let's discuss some brief player tips and I'm not going to harp on this for too long because I never want to give players the impression that they should be told how to enjoy the game. 
that's kind of what DMs are there to figure out. But I do think there are some dynamic shifts worth addressing. Tip number one is build a unique character, but not a character that's difficult to play. Feel free to be experimental, but don't be random or obtuse. This is basically the only rule I would set on character creation. This is not the time to make something that intentionally eats up the action economy, disrupts the story with some attention-stealing quirks, or generally just annoys others at the table. Your character can annoy other characters, of course, just not the players that made them. If anything, I think this is the time to plan out a sort of ultimate character, or your ideal character. Something that you put a little more backbone into planning out, and maybe even a few personal elements when creating the backstory. You don't need to make your character balanced for the group or anything, nor should anyone feel compelled to play a certain role within the party. But you should synergize in at least a few significant ways, mechanically or otherwise. The Session Zero will be a perfect place to figure all of this out. Tip number two is organize and learn your equipment, spells, and character sheet. Gaining and keeping momentum is a top priority in large group play, and there are tons of practical things players can do that keep the pace of the game up. This can include things like reading out the effects of a seldom-used spell when you cast it, rolling the d20 and damage dice at the same time during combat, keeping succinct session notes so that you don't have to ask the DM about things later on. All things that, in some way, rely on you being an absolute expert over the details of your character sheet. This may seem like a given, but it's important to keep in mind that any small hiccups or errors made in this regard can very quickly pile up with so many people. Not saying you need to memorize the thing, you should just know how to navigate it and make sure your character sheet is rarely a source of delay. How you organize that info is up to you, but however you decide to do that, I assure you it's worth the 10 to 15 minute effort. One of our wizards, for instance, kept his spell list tracked using an app, which saved us the time of him trying to read his small handwriting or flip through his sheet. Honestly, at higher levels, most players will likely end up using a phone app to track info in one way or another. I love paper character sheets as much as anyone, but there is nothing sacrilege to the game by choosing to use apps instead, especially if it benefits your game. Lord knows when I DM, I'm using like four different apps at once, so... And tip number three is let people have their moments. You should try and adjust your story expectations from a focused group of characters to that of an ensemble cast, one that stands out because of how they interact with one another. Large groups always work best when everyone is willing to share the spotlight and set up glorious moments for other characters. Main character syndrome should be avoided in any collaborative narrative, but in this case, I think the idea should be taken even further. Every player should be setting up opportunities for their fellow adventurer, providing mechanical and role-playing alley-oops that help everyone share in the glory. If the DM is doing their job, you will get plenty of your own moments to shine that don't involve battling for character progression or XP with others at the table. Large group campaigns are not for everyone. Some aren't going to be interested in the idea, some don't have the people or the space, some are intimidated by the idea. Whatever your reason, it's valid. For those of you that look at this as a potentially fun undertaking, though, I hope these tips go a long way in making your giant party sessions the chaotic fun I know they can be. I've had so many amazing moments around my game table, but some of the most formative to my style as a DM happened during our large group campaign. Our party of nine, which occasionally included more, grew from level ones all the way up to level 20s over the course of literal years and in-game years. Taking part in quests parties of four to five only dreamed of being capable of. For all the effort that campaign took to properly function, I would do it again in a second with double the workload if it meant I got to explore the lesser earth with a giant crew of friends one more time.
Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put out new videos like this every week. And if you have your own tips on how to run a large group session, or if you've been a part of one yourself and want to tell me about it, please let me know down in the comments. I like reading about your guys' characters, campaigns, and funny situations. And like I said, the large group campaign kind of setting is a personally cherished part of my D&D experience. So let me know all about that down in the comments. Thanks again for watching. My name is Patrick Ferguson from Skull Splitter Dice, and until next time, farewell.